0: our text will be in Matthew chapter 16 and the first verse of our text will be verse 13 but um, and we'll get that (laughs) we'll get to it hopefully Um, you know sometimes just not just as preachers pastors get together and so forth but just so many other people that I go around and talk to we, we get conversations about church, the church today. Um, I can remember uh, you know, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Uh, that was true whether you're Baptist, Methodist, uh, Presbyterian or what have you. That was pretty well true across this country. Sunday school was a thing that churches did and it was a good thing because it was teaching doctrine and Yet so often anymore, it seems like uh, Bible doctrine is ignored, and sometimes we don't realize that something's actually a Bible doctrine. Now, let me tell you what a Bible doctrine is in a short way, so that everybody should be able to understand this. A Bible doctrine is anything the Word of God teaches. Okay, that's it. I mean, that that makes some theologians upset because it doesn't have $55 words in it. But nonetheless, that's what a Bible doctrine is. It's what the Lord teaches us through His Word. Every word of the Bible was breathed out by God. Every word was breathed out by God. You know, we say, and I've made the same, uh, I've said the same thing sometimes, Well, Paul said here, or John said in this book, or, or Moses said here. And, and we understand what they mean, but actually, God breathed out those words, and they were holy men of old that God used to write those words down, because He could trust them to write those words down exactly. After that, it was up to God to make sure those words were preserved, not only in heaven, but on earth. Psalms 12, 6, and 7 says they are preserved on earth. And so, it is preserved. Now, there are people that tried to uh, change that. There are people that have tried to corrupt those documents. Something like this said They don't have the original manuscript, so we don't really know if we have the completed Word of God. Okay? We don't have the original car that was ever driven, so we don't know if there really are cars. Makes as much sense. Now look, Almighty God is preserving the Word. He put the Waldesian people, they, they went up in caves, hiding from Romans that would try to put them to death, government trying to put them to death for making copies of the Word of God. But they were so uh, fervent in it, they would, now you got to understand, they didn't have this. The parchment they wrote on, they'd write on it, and, and they'd be copying, and then they'd come back, and they'd come to the middle word. That middle word didn't match the middle word of the original manuscript. Guess what? They started over. They didn't have quick erase, okay? They had to start over with a brand new parchment. They had to do that in order to have this Bible. Men did that, they were faithful to do it, they stayed to it. Later, uh, in Alexandria, Egypt, there were some very well educated men that were slaves. Now, their choice was to be able to go out and work in the fields or sit in the library somewhere and make copies. For some reason or other, they chose that rather than getting out there and having all day labor, that they would sit in the l- library and sit down and make copies. Matter of fact, those copies had a greater chance of being preserved simply because the weather, the dryness, and everything they were written in, whereas this other was written with lights and you know, I mean really just lamp light and and in caves. They were in climates that were not really true to preservation. That's why they had to keep on, keeping on making copies. That's why originals aren't there any longer. But there is an original in heaven, and I, I'll tell you this, by God's word, I know that it is preserved. And he has this preserved on earth because he says so. I had a missionary one time that was going to have come in, uh, that wanted to come in and present their field. One of the there is when I send out a questionnaire, there's various questions go on there. I ask them about their music. I ask them about s- several things. One of the things I ask them about uh, do you believe that the Word of God is preserved in total in the King James Bible through all those various uh, manuscripts of the Textus Receptus and, and the Masoretic Text? One wrote me back, answered all the other questions rightly, but this one question said, well I believe that it's preserved in all of the manuscripts. Well, thank you for being honest, you're not coming. Uh, Basically, I didn't say it that way, but that's, uh, uh, we would not bring that one in. Why? Because as a pastor, I have a responsibility to make sure that the missionaries we bring in to present to you uh, their ministry, that they are doctrinally right, so that when you're supporting something uh, like that, you're not going to be supporting a missionary that goes out and, and gives false doctrine, Okay. Now, it sounds like I'm getting ahead of myself on the missions conference, but I'm not really doing that right now. What I am trying to show you, though, is the Bible was so very important to God. Someone has said that when you read the Bible, you're hearing the mind of God, because they're God's Word. So it's important in knowing that when we look at the Word of God that we preach. Some people say, don't ch- preach doctrine on a Sunday. Uh, I had a lady sometimes, it's been years ago now, but she says, if you preach the Bible once, you just keep preaching the Bible, people aren't going to get saved. <laughs> okay, you know. So they left because we preached the Bible. But what I'm saying is this it's the mind of God. And when the Lord introduces something in the Bible, it's of utmost importance to him that it's, okay, this is what you're going to do, keep on doing it, keep on doing it, keep on doing it. And that's what we're looking at today is what something that is so very important to God. It's very important to Jesus Christ. It's from him directly from Christ, and that's what we'll be looking at, but let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll get started. Father, I pray now as we uh, delve into the Word today, Lord, help each one to understand what you've said to us here, but in association with that, Lord, rebuke the devil that he in no way would confuse anyone's heart and mind About this, that we preach this day in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're getting near that political season when you'll start seeing the advertisements and all that looking ahead. Different men saying, I'm going to run for president. Different women will be saying, I'm running for president. Different offices. And then we'll get uh, through till you have the political conventions because the election's not in 2023, it's in 2024. In the conventions, You'll find, uh, really in one sense, uh, part of the title, the title of the sermon today is Platform and Performance. But they'll have a platform. They will have a platform, and you'll start hearing about the platform. You don't know much about the platform, but you'll hear much about the platform that they're building on. You know, if it's a Democrat, it's going to be very liberal. If it's a Republican, it's going to be very conservative. And so, uh, whatever you are, whoever you're voting for, they're saying the principles that guide them, that lead them, is in their platform. Whether it's Republican or Democrat, that is supposed to be it. Now, having said all of that, uh, as a Christian, you may be one or the other. But, Christ. Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, He has a will, He has a way, and He's the one that has ordained and created the local church. That was His idea. The way a local church is supposed to operate is the way he did. It was his idea. It's what he says to do it. It's every bit should be ran according to the Word of God because those are the words of Jesus as well. Uh, so to have a local church and a breathed out Word, New Testament, we call it, the Holy Bible, we call it, God used only holy men and the doctrine of the local church, uh, really, its practices, its officers, everything about it is in the Word of God, but it is from Jesus Christ. And in, in that Jesus Christ is the founder of the local church. Now, I know somebody's going to say, well, the church is all who are saved. Well, the word church means a called out assembly. Now, if we're a called out assembly, that means that everybody in the world is supposed to meet at Central Baptist Church today. He's our oh, preacher, come on now. Oh, are they called out assemblies in those churches? Well, I guess so. Okay, church called out a called out assembly. Now, if a person's saved in that respect, yeah, he's a part of the church. And he's going to be in a called out assembly when the Lord raptures us. Okay. It'll be, we'll be caught up to be with the Lord, the bride of Christ. But local churches were established to serve God, to carry the gospel to the world, to demonstrate the will of God, the holiness of God, the way of God in all their living and way and ministry. That is God's Word. That is God's way. And so because of that, uh, you need to understand in that He would breathe out this New Testament and teach us about it, tell us about it, then we must realize that as Christians, as saved people, if you're saved, you're part of a called out assembly, and God has led you to a place where you should assemble to hear God's Word, pray, and serve the Lord together because we are laborers together with God. And so, therefore, we also must keep this in mind. Now, this is very important. Keep it in mind. Each of us will give an account of our part in the local church. Every saved person. Some saved people got saved and then they got out of church. They haven't been back to church since. Uh, They're going to have to stand at the judgment seat of Christ if they are saved one day and given a reason why they did not go back to church. Well, so-and-so said this, so-and-so. Did God say that? Did God do that? No. So, why are you taking it out on God? Why did you take it out on God? I want you to see all these rewards over here. And look at all these rewards over here. Guess what? Those were yours, but they aren't any longer. Because the Bible says we'll count the loss. The local church is very important that Jesus Christ was God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God is the Spirit, but He came. The Holy Spirit came upon Mary, formed the seed. The Father took over and formed the body. And Jesus had given Himself to be this sacrifice, the entire Trinity involved in our salvation. That was God's way, that was God's plan from the very beginning. We were made in His image. God is the Spirit. So man is born with a Spirit. Our Spirit is the image of God. Not our bodies. Our bodies are not the image of God. It's our Spirit. And so, we will give an account at the judgment seat of Christ. And what we did in participation in building the local church, and our part in maintaining the doctrine, the practices of the local church in relationship to the Word of God, not the latest fad among churches and religions. Most often, those goals are built on a secular philosophy of marketing. But they re, most more often than that, appeal totally to the flesh when we are supposed to be people walking in the Spirit. And so that's where we begin to see the failure of the local church. Look, COVID hit, and people quit coming to church. We got notes. We got uh, people telling about something they read in Facebook or somewhere else, and they'd say, that church should be closed. They want everybody closed. They want all of them closed down. And so they're disobeying government. Basically, they're saying we were in sin disobeying government. Hmm. So, what you're saying is that when John and Peter preached the gospel in Acts chapter 5, and they said whether we should obey God or man, you decide, but we're going to obey God. You're saying that Peter and John was absolutely wrong. They should have never preached Jesus because the government told them not to. Now, you need to understand what the Bible means. The government never is ahead of Jesus Christ. It's never ahead of His Word. And anything that does not go against the Word of God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, yes, government has that over us. I mean, they can say out in front here, that's a... 40 mile an hour speed zone. When everybody knows, everyone's doing 55 and 60. Okay. If you get pulled over, you get pulled over, you get a ticket. Some of the things that we do, we don't get pulled over for in life. But in heaven, we may have a lost reward. And one of the lost rewards is by not obeying the things that we should obey in government. But more so is the local church. Churches have gone down, This started with COVID, then people got used to staying home. There comes a time when all of a sudden people no longer are coming to church for Sunday school. There comes a time when some people are never longer coming on Sunday night. There comes a time when people don't come on Wednesday night. There comes a time when people aren't uh, going to revival meeting. They think they can justify it, but all they're doing is trying to make their own Spirit feel good when it's convicted that it's wrong. And how can the church be a light in the world when its people will not be faithful to the place that God says to not forsake? So, again, I'm looking here at these things. The goals of the uh, platform for the local church, God has given in His Word. Uh, they are rarely accomplished goals. Nor do do they do, and I say they, I'm talking about Christians, do their best to accomplish those goals that God gave us. Because those goals are basically commandments. We'll see more about that later on. But Jesus Christ, has given us a platform. But after we received him as Lord and Savior, we got that platform until we're one of his, that platform doesn't pertain to us. If you're saved, then this does pertain to you, regardless of who you are. Well, I'm not a preacher. I'm not a missionary. I don't teach Sunday school. I don't drive a bus. I don't sing in the choir. Are you saved? Well, yeah, I am saved. Then it pertains to you. You know, book of 1 Corinthians, it said some would come to the Lord's Supper. They'd been in adultery. Some had been in, uh, drunk. Some had had so many other sins in their life. And the Lord said, for this cause, some of you are sickly and others sleep early. In other words, they, they died. Really, early is really God had another time He's going to let them live to. But they did these things and God took them on home. I believe that I have seen over the years people that God took home before the time because they got into things, whether it's false accusation or whether it was other sins in their life or whether they got the allurement of the world, whatever it was, you'd see them at one time so faithful and so active and they got away from it. You say, well, that could happen to anybody. Yeah. Get married. You love that man. You love that woman. And you can stay true to them. But then on the other hand, you can get away from it. Well, that's a different preacher. No, it's a commitment to Jesus Christ. The commitment to Christ ought to be even stronger than that. If you think it's wrong to uh, say anything about being faithful to God's house, then you would have to admit, because we're called the bride, the bride, the bride of Christ, then then you'd have to admit the same thing that you're saying about faithfulness. It's all right to cheat. It's all right to get drunk. It's all right. Well, no, I wouldn't say that. Then why say it about God's house? Why not be faithful? Why not do God's will, God's way? Remember, we are in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ if you're saved, and you need to feed that relationship every day of your life on this earth. And He has a platform for us, and yet, all of us, myself included, too often we fall short of that. Now, having said that, I want us to look at our text here quickly, and just to get started on it. verse thirteen here of of uh, our our text here in Matthew sixteen. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea, of Philippi, many of you that went to Israel with me. We, we were there. We were in Caesarea Philippi. That's where the, uh, remember the races, the, I call them the go-kart races. But, you know, they had the horses. They were doing it, the chariots and all that. But, uh, anyway, that's where they had the races. We had the other things that we saw there at that place. But, the, he's there. This is where this is going on at the moment. He asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Now, Here is where we get into the platform. Jesus is right here introducing for His disciples the platform for the local church. This will go on. This will go on and on. This is the platform for the local church. Verse 14, And they said, "Well, Some say that thou art John the Baptist. Uh, Some, Elias. And others, Jeremiah's. Or what are the prophets? Oh, the Lord already knew what they were saying. He already knew that. Now He's talking to His disciples, though. He knows what men are saying. But He wants His disciples to say in order to see what has entered their mind. and their memories, and remain with them. And the Lord is having them say, so that they will see themselves, that what has remained in their mind is not a good thing. And so, He tells them that. See, they need correction, and they need teaching, to know what the platform of Jesus Christ is going to be. So he's straightening it out right at the beginning. So verse 15 uh, will let us know that they know what men are saying, but they need to know who Jesus Christ is, as it pertains to the local church. So verse 15, He saith unto them, But who say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered, And said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. I wonder if Jesus said living God back then because some people already then were saying God is dead. You would think that in the 2,000 years since that that kind of ignorance would still not exist. But there's people with degrees behind their names that still believe that foolishness. But one day, if they don't get saved in hell, they will believe it. Too late, but they'll believe it. It is important, if you are saved then, that you know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, the Greek word used there that we won't ever use in our own regular uh, language is "huios." That means the seed. The seed of God. And that was very important that they said that, because... They needed to see that as the Son of God, it wasn't an adoption, it was actually the very seed of God, the Holy Spirit forming it inside of Mary, and then the Father taking over, forming the body of Jesus Christ. And so, if the priest of that day, and the Pharisees of that day had heard Peter say that, they would have had Peter taken aside and they would have stoned him to death because they considered that blasphemy to claim that Jesus Christ was the son, the seed of God the Father. Because if they do, that is saying that he is equal with God. Now, although they're priests, some of them very well studied, the Bible is still right. And they miss their own Hebrew, Elohim, God, followed by a plural, a plural verb. In the beginning, God created, created plural. Anytime in the Hebrew that you have a noun, Like us, person, place, or thing, but in the way it is presented there, it can be in a plural, two or three or more. More often it was three or more. Which explains God said, Let us, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three divine persons in one divine essence. Make man in our own image. That's why I say you are a spirit with a soul and body. Not a body with a soul and spirit. You're a spirit with a soul and a body. Your spirit will leave this body. But not, not will your body leave the spirit. The spirit will leave your body. Your body will lay on the ground or wherever it is. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blast art thou, Simon Bar Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. You see, this belief of Peter's is very real. If it's not real, then Peter will not be able to. To have the heart and the commitment to stand, to be persecuted, to be hung upside down and crucified on the cross, to take the ridicule of man, to do all of that, to lay his life on the line, it has to be a heart commitment to God. It has to be a heart belief in him, knowing If I lay my life on the line for Jesus Christ. If I lose my life. If I lose everything I have. I still have Jesus. And when I get to heaven. I'll have rewards that will never, never pass away. That's what we have. We just need to walk according to His will. And so often I believe. That the biggest failure Today, one of the great shames of today, the biggest failures of today, is that the Muslims have more faith in their false god that they will give their lives like the towers that came down because they've been told that they have 72 virgins awaiting for them if they do that. Goodness gracious, they don't even know what they look like. Worse than that is someone said here just recently, uh, think of all the mother-in-laws. But I won't go there. Okay. But, you see, the reason Christians won't stand as strongly as those that believe in a false God stand is because there's a big bright metal that's on your chest, that's on your life, that, that metal is the fear of man. That metal identifies you. You don't want to have man turn on you because you stand up for Jesus Christ. You don't want to witness for him. The metal, the fear of man has kept you from bringing men and women to Jesus Christ. It's kept you from living holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And the reason is, although you may be saved, your heart lacks a true faith and commitment that the sufferings of this present time are not even worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. Paul, you got your head cut off. It's not worthy to be compared. Not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. Pliny, you're burning a stake. All you had to do is deny Jesus. To actually be set on fire. That is suffering. But it is not worthy to be compared in its greatness of suffering to the greatness of the glory that you receive in heaven. I can't put that together. There have been people that have seen their children be put to death because they would not reject Christ. Your children will live if you'll reject Christ, if you'll curse God, so to speak, and, and, and do that. They would that's got to be a terrible inner suffering. But that suffering in its greatness and its power is not anywhere near to the glory and its greatness that shall be revealed in us. Now, you either believe God on that or you don't. And that's the difference between a true commitment and faith. That is the big difference between a true commitment and faith. And so, the platform of the local church begins first with this. Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came to this earth to take on a human body, a human spirit, that one day, that after being tempted and tried in every way, tested to see if he would sin as a human, and he did not. I believe he is impeccable. But nonetheless, he did not Sin one time. That's what the way it had to be for him to be a perfect sacrifice for my sin, for your sin. That's why I said earlier in the announcements, no matter what sin has entered your life, it can be forgiven. Totally. You can be cleansed of it. So, Jesus died for my sin. He was placed on that cross, and all oh, we read so often, and we've seen, they've made pictures of it and things like that, of, of Jesus on the cross, and how cruel it is, the bleeding, the, uh, the cursing, the, the, the shame of it all. Yet, the greatest suffering wasn't any of that. It was when the Father poured out His wrath, His almighty wrath on the human spirit of Christ. Because Christ had on Him our sin. He had on Him our sin. And the Lord was pouring out His wrath on that. I mean, always before when Jesus was in the wilderness and tempted of the devil, and in the garden of Eden,, and, uh, God, not the Garden of Eden, but in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he was sweating drops that were so huge, they was as thick as blood. The Father sent angels to him, but on the cross, no, the payment has to be full, entire. And so Jesus says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Is there not an angel to come? Is there not something, kind of a help? No, and he knows. If he's going to pay the penalty in full, he also knows that he could Whether an angel was sent or not, because he was God come in the flesh, he could have just like he calmed the seas, healed lepers, he could have just come off that cross, or he could have just ended it right there with everybody. He didn't. Why? Because the salvation of yours and my soul was that important to him. Obtaining the forgiveness, and that was a terrible price, that was a great price, it was blood. The life is in the blood, and the blood of Jesus Christ was the only blood that was pure and with the life. And He, a life giving Spirit, as 1 Corinthians 15 tells us, gave His blood, His life, that He might cleanse and save us. Now, I don't know anyone's heart in this auditorium, watching live stream, or listening on radio. But I can tell you this, regardless of what your sin is, you come to Him in repentance and faith. As a matter of fact, (laughs) reading the book of Matthew, Earlier, not this chapter. I believe it's chapter eleven, if I remember correctly, eleven or twelve, but ten or eleven or twelve, somewhere around there. But verse thirteen, I think it's ten thirteen, said that Jesus. Jesus said he was come to call, not the righteous, because they're already saved. He has come to call sinners to repentance. Repentance. It's saying, okay, Lord, right now I enjoy walking in the world. I enjoy this life. I enjoy this, that. Well, great. Why not? You can learn to enjoy the Lord. It will give you a greater joy because the joy of the Lord is your strength. But you turn to Him and say, Lord, I can't take away my sin. I can't cleanse my sin. You turn to Him in repentance and Lord, I'm going to give myself to you. Cleanse me. Save me. He'll do that. He'll do that. Christian? If you've wandered far from the Lord, maybe the prayer of David, when he had sinned with Bathsheba and put her then husband to death, God forgave him. And he said, Lord, restore to me a right spirit. He wanted cleansed, he wanted forgiven, and he wanted to be used of God to from that point on. And God did use him because He wrote more Psalms after that. And my friend, God can use you. If you've gotten so far away from God, He can still use you if you'll come back in true repentance and faith, true commitment to Jesus Christ. He can do that for you. Won't you let Him do it? Let's bow our heads please.